Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast, even when there's no Old Testament in the lectionary. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Yes, this Easter season, we're changing things up a bit. Normally, when the Revised Common Lectionary takes the Old Testament out of the first reading and plugs in Acts, grumble, 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 (laughs) we march our little rebellious selves on down to the Psalms and promote doing a Psalms series. This year, we're doing something somewhat different. We, the biblical scholars of the Old Testament podcast, are going to do a series on the New Testament readings. Mm -hmm. Specifically, how are the New Testament readings assigned for Easter drawing on their Old Testament scriptures to make their points? This week, April 11th, we're looking at John 20, 19 to 31, the poorly named Doubting Thomas text that should really be known as Proclaiming Thomas. (laughs) But this isn't my week to pontificate. That's up to Rachel. So, Rachel, what do you have for us this week? First off, I am right with you in thinking that the text is terribly named in Christian tradition. You should be since you wrote that. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) So funny. So I have to say, though, I was a little nervous at first to venture into this text through an Old Testament lens because we'd kind of set this up as like, this would be a great idea. And this was the... Let's see if this was a great idea time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I wasn't quite sure what I'd find there and uh, if I'd find anything at all. Spoiler alert, I did. So here are just a couple of fun things that could lead into a new way into the text, a text that is extremely familiar to most folks. I can't wait. So I won't make you. First of all, um, we have a really fun little tidbit right away in the text in the first verse of the pericope. It says, When it was evening, on that day, the first day of the week. Now, a couple of things of importance. When you hear evening, Tim, what do you think of? Do you think of the beginning of the day or the end of the day? Well, I guess I'd say my instinct is that's the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. So we hear evening and we think end. In the biblical text, however, the evening was the day's beginning. We see this right away in Genesis 1. It says, And there was evening and there was morning, Yom Echad, the first day. And that's actually exactly where this text draws you to, right back to that first Genesis creation story. That creation story where the first thing God does is hover over the chaos, hover over it, and then Stick God's word right into the middle of the mess. Let there be light. And here, right in the midst of the disciples' chaos, the word of God strides right in through a locked door and sticks a word of peace right into the middle of their mess. Let there be light in your shadows. Peace be with you. Yeah. You're right. This draws you right back to Genesis 1. I mean, it's it's just like right. It grabs you. Then what to make of that, of course, is the question. So this is a new creation, is my thought, that mm-hmm. it's drawing imagery from this Genesis creation text to talk about a scenario of creation here. But its newness doesn't divorce it from what came before. Instead, the creation that came before gives this new creation form and substance and method and language. 
We see this again in verse 21. But instead of hearkening back to Genesis 1, the author draws from Genesis 2, and it says that Jesus breathed on the disciples. Oh, that's so nice. Isn't that nice? So in Genesis 2, right, humans are just a lump of clay before they are bathed in divine breath. And in John 20, the disciples are just a lump of clay. They're, they're frozen in fear into clayness until Jesus breathes on them. So a really sweet association there. But I do have to ask you, Tim, as a teenager, did you have trouble picturing what was going on in this text? (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember, but it is kind of an odd image, isn't it? Sort of, uh, you're hoping Jesus had uh, an Altoid or two before he Right, exactly. (laughs) I mean, I think as a teenager, you know, I'm sitting in the pew and as the text is being read, I'm often kind of just vaguely picturing it in my head. And I always got to this part and I got stumped. I just had a real hard time picturing what Jesus breathing on a room full of people would look like. I could only picture a guy standing in the middle of a room going, <laughs> and it just, it just. And that sounds even. It sounds even worse in the middle of a pandemic, right? Oh, exactly. It's like, mask, mask. You need a mask, Jesus. Oh, exactly. Let's make sure to filter the Holy Spirit. Oh, but even before pandemic time, it just looked so awkward. So now, as I'm a little bit older than my teenage self, um, instead of picturing it that way, I try to go to like a real life experience to try to picture what this moment of breathing the Holy Spirit on folks looks like. And what comes to me is I think of funerals that I've been to, especially of people that I've really loved and have lost, um, because I think of moments of, of deep sorrow, which much like deep fear, just sort of transforms us all back into lumps of clay. And then suddenly we become transfigured into something else. And the moment itself becomes transfigured into something holy when somebody remembers a story and they start telling the story and we laugh. There's this expulsion of breath that Mm. transforms the moment into something holy. Now, I'm not making an actual scholarly argument that Jesus laughed the Holy Spirit onto them. (laughs) But in the middle of your sermon, dear listeners, when you're inviting folks to think about what type of movement of breath brings life and holiness into their chaos and mess, think laughter or think lungs filled with song or just take that Genesis 2 image and think a lump of clay that's held so close to the face of the delighted creator, so close that the creator's own breath slips into its lumpy lungs. Mm, yes. There's something about breath, especially in sort of the the world of biblical imagery where there's such life yeah. in breath. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a especially coming from like a, a pre-modern time before people knew a lot about kind of like I don't know, beta waves in the brain and all of this kind of stuff. Life and death was measured on whether a person was breathing or not, right? And so putting breath into or onto somebody was about imparting life to them. Yes, exactly. And here you've got that that drawing upon the creation story, new creation, recreation from this, this lumpy 
dead thing yeah. into into life. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's what's so delightful here is that it's all there. You know, the the seeds and the structure and the foundation and even the language of Jesus Christ, it's all there in what would have been Jesus's Bible, the Old Testament, his scripture. I mean, you could even go back to to our discussion from a couple weeks ago about forgiveness. What's the first thing that Jesus gives to the disciples after the Holy Spirit? The power to forgive. The Mm. mark of the new covenant that was created 500 plus years before Jesus. It's a new creation. It's a recreation, but it's not separate from what came before. It builds, it snowballs on the love of God that had walked with God's people for hundreds, even thousands of years already. Yeah, yeah. Now... Get us to Thomas, because I'm wondering how all of this helps us see good old doubting Thomas in a new light. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Thomas doesn't necessarily, Thomas's moment doesn't necessarily draw on Genesis imagery. That's just kind of the prelude for it. We get something slightly different when we get to Thomas. So let's go there. Mm -hmm. Verses 26 to 29, the doors are shut. The disciples are gathered. Thomas is there. God's word strides into the chaos and speaks light and peace into the middle of the mess. And when the word incarnate invites Thomas to believe through feeling, Thomas, as we know, responds, my Lord and my God. This is not only the most direct confession of Jesus's divinity in all of the gospels. It's the most direct confession of how Jesus is fully aligned with what folks like to call the God of the Old Testament. Hmm. So Richard Hayes is a scholar who's done a ton of work on this Old Testament in the New Testament uh, looking. And his book, Echoes of Scripture in the Gospels, lifts up at this moment the example of Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 10, which we've done just recently in Advent. That text reads, get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might. My Lord and my God is a name in the Old Testament. The Lord God is the divine name. Thomas is not only ascribing to Jesus divinity, he's ascribing to him the divine name itself. Wow. Yeah. So you remember our conversation with Dr. Carmen Imes about what it means for us to bear the divine name? Couldn't forget it. Well, me neither. So here what Thomas is doing is he's recognizing that Jesus is that name. The divine name doesn't hang about Jesus's shoulders like a mantle. It's shot through his very person. And what we find in Jesus's story is that not even crucifixion can defeat the power of the divine name. Go Thomas. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) So here, Thomas is not uh, an anti-model of doubt that we should avoid. He's the, he's the model of confessing the identification of Jesus yeah. with the, the God of creation, the God of the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah, the God of the prophets. It all comes together in this one sort of 
expulsion of breath, if you will, from Thomas, my Lord and my God. Nice tie back. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, gosh, I want, I want to preach this text now. <laughs> mm, it's a fun one. Yeah, exactly. I hope it does help because I know this is one of those texts that's like, oh, again, what am I going to say different this time? So, you know, maybe this will this will open up some new angles. Awesome. All right, friends, that'll wrap us up for this week. Thanks for trekking along with us as we think about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Follow the series so that you can get all of our best insights. You can get them if you subscribe to the podcast, which you can do on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts or right on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. Check us out on the Facebook. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Tim McNich. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching.